Welcome to the Church Sound Podcast, part of the Repurpose Network, where kingdom culture, real life, and technology intersect. I'm your host, Prentice Thompson. What we do, we talk to real people, pastors, leaders, engineers, tech people, manufacturers, worship leaders, all about church, technology, and provide solutions for a successful Sunday morning service. You ready? It's time to take a ride. Let's go. Yes. Yes. Welcome to another edition of the Church Sound Podcast. You know, I always say I love when you guys applaud, even though I'm making myself. But, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure if you're in the gym, if you're in the car, you're doing something, you're clapping your hands. But if you're driving, please, please do not start clapping. You can nod and smile. That that works. Today, we have a very, very special show. I know I say that all the time, but we do. We want to talk about design in a very, very different way. Now, when you hear about design, normally you, you it'll come across as a ah, fashion designer like Calvin Klein or Versace or Armani or if you're from my part of town where I grew up, it was Dapper Dan. In the art of definition of, 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 of design, it's sketching and painting or sculpture, which is kind of something that it's kind of related to art, if you will, or design, if you will, right? But, the, but to talk about design technically is something that most of us don't even think about. But I have a great person that can definitely break it down to you. And we're going to have a great conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats and dogs of all ages, please welcome, I'm gonna, I don't want to screw his last name up, Josh Holowicki, the founder and CEO of E2I Design. Did I do that right? Prentice, you got it, man. Right I on. Got it. Spot on. First time, every time. <laughs> man. Yeah, I love it. Hey, listen, you know, from from from, from people with, with interesting first name first names and last names, you know, I've learned how to fight from people jacking my name up as a kid. Because, <laughs> because I'm a I'm a junior, so None of my family called me Prentice or Prentice. That's how they say it in the South, Prentice. No one called me that at all unless until I went to first grade. So when I got to first grade, all the kids were calling me Princess. So that was the running joke, you know, mm-hmm. Princess, Princess. And so I, ha- I had to defend my name. But now as an adult, I find myself constantly reminding people about the correct pronunciation and or calling me Prentice or or um or Preston. That's the other one. Or, or Preston. Preston. <laughs> okay. It's kind of a stretch, but I'll, I'll give it to him, I guess. Man, you 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 would you would be surprised. So thanks thanks for being on the show. I was reading your it's bio. I was reading your bio and and you started out in lighting. And like how I look at lighting, it's like it's like painting live in a in a in a coloring book but live and Mm -hmm. how did you even get how did that enter your world yeah when i was a kid um i was uh our church started doing these big uh, christmas productions and um called the glory of christmas and uh i was probably I don't know, man, like seven or eight years old at the time. And one of the things that just absolutely fascinated me was the lighting. And most specifically was 
our church was renting at the time, and this is way, this is 1988, 89. Wow. Uh, they were renting some high-end systems in telebeams. And if you've ever seen that fixture, it's about four feet tall or long, depending on it's hanging. It's got a mirror and the light would hit the mirror. They moved all over the place. And um, they would rent those in for the, for the Christmas show. And man, I was just in awe of what wow. that could do. We rented six of them, you know, and I mean, that was big time. I mean, we had a big auditorium that was built, you know, a long, long time ago at the time. And uh, I was just so fascinated by what that was, what it could do. And I was just drawn in, you know, and I just watched from a distance growing up, you know, I, I participated in the shows and sang in the teen choir. And then as I got older in the adult choir, um, being a lighting designer was never on my radar and definitely not working for a church. Wasn't anywhere close. <laughs> um, I was, uh, I was in business. I was going to college to get a business degree, which I, which I did. Um, but I was in a family business and as just, I started volunteering at the church on the lighting team. Finally at, at uh, 20, I don't know, I was 23 years old when I finally started volunteering on lighting. It took me all those years, but anyway. So this whole time, I just you were watching from afar? This whole time? Just watching, you know, watching from on stage, you know, singing in the choir and just like, wow, <laughs> man, this is cool. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, I, I started volunteering at like 22, 23 years old. And then God just made some circumstances happen. And, and uh, he basically said, you're going to be a lighting designer and you're going to be on staff at your church go. And I, you know, that wasn't my plan. Not even close. Um, but God's always got a different story. So he just does yes, what he, he does. wants to do. And then we just get to ride along. So anyway, so I found myself at 20, I don't know, 23, 24 years old on staff at this church. And we were, you know, at the time we were maybe running about 2,800, 2,900 people on a weekend. And um, we had moved into a new building about six or seven years before. And, um, and they had a video director and they had an audio director, but they had nobody on lighting, lighting. I mean, they had great volunteers, um, but they had no staff person leading that. And so they were really looking for somebody to kind of help take it to the next level. They had just invested in a broadcast video system to do multi-site and, and all kinds of other things they wanted to do. And, and they needed somebody. So, I got hired uh, and I'll be honest with you. I didn't know nothing. I mean, I, I knew what I knew as a volunteer, you know, um, and what I had learned along the way, but what I did have was a passion for it. I really loved it. And I'm a creative. I have a, I'm a musician and I have a creative eye. So I had the, I had the heart. I just didn't have the art yet. I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to use gotcha. my, my passion. So then they just poured into me you know, got me, got me in with some of the best designers, uh, in the Christian world and the secular world as well. And I went out to Las Vegas and did some behind the scenes stuff and attended some classes with some really well-known designers and, and just soaked up as much knowledge as I could and, uh, as fast as possible. And then I came back from all of that and started working on that Christmas show that I had grown up with that I always loved so much. And then 
you know, and there I went. And from that point forward, I just, my vision was just to put my head down, meet and connect with as many people as I possibly could and learn as much as I possibly could as fast as possible. And, um, and I've never stopped since. Um, and, uh, after a period of time on staff there, I felt called again, like I had fulfilled the mission of, of being put on staff and really felt called from working for a church to working for the church. So gotcha. I started E2I Design to help the church. And at the time, primarily in lighting and visual scenic. And we've just expanded into audio and video and things over the years. Um, but that's how I got here, man. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's, that, that's amazing. And, and you said something very, very key that people poured into you. And, and I noticed on your website, training is such a very big component of your, your pillars, if you will. Um, but someone invested in you. And a lot of times when I meet with churches, that's the last thing they want to do. It's like they want to get the gear and get the end result. But the middle part is the thing you have to convince them in. Would you take a 16-year-old kid who just got his license or her license and put him behind the wheel of a Ferrari and send him on down the road? No. No. You'd train him. You wouldn't hand him the keys and nothing until you knew they knew how to drive it, right? <laughs> That's right. Right? So I look at it like that. Um, E2I, that's on my shirt here, but, it's not very, but and E2I is like I, E squared. I have your sticker. You got the sticker. I got the sticker, Good. brother. <laughs> it stands for educate empower, inspire. Our vision has always been education is the foundation of everything that we do as far as technology is concerned. So the very first thing we do is educate. We teach. If you were to come to me and say, Josh, I got this vision and I want to do X, Y, and Z in our worship space. And I'd say, awesome. I'm going to start asking a lot of questions and then I'm going to start coaching immediately through that. Have you thought about this? Why have you thought about this? What is your intended result? How are we going to teach people? How are we going to develop teams, both staff and volunteers? And then I'm going to train you through the process. Okay, so here's the equipment I would pick and why. Here's why I would pick this. Here's why I wouldn't put, pick that, right? And we'll start teaching and teaching and teaching and teaching. And before you know it, we've got you embedded in a culture of constant knowledge gain. And then we're going to use that to empower you and your staff and your volunteers to grow in a technology fashion. And then we're going to use all that for inspiration and use that to motivate your congregation, motivate your community to preach the message, to sell the message to the community. Right. Right. That right. Um, education is the baseline. I mean, 24 hours a day, seven days a week when my eyeballs aren't open, and I'm sleeping. When my eyes are open, all I'm doing is trying to gain more knowledge. So I attend my team. We attend every trade show, every convention, every everything. We constantly are checking in with manufacturers. What's new? What can we learn? What can we gain? We know it's all we do. And for us, we need to have the heart and the mindset of that in the tech area, tech arts area of our ministries in a constant state of knowledge gain because the more we know the better users of the technology we're going to be right. the better we're going to be able to deploy it in our ministries the better we're going to be able to serve our ministries and what what they've given us from a resources perspective and it's just good stewardship 
right? I mean, it's, it's good stewardship, not only to know and understand the equipment, but also to create a culture that right. allows others to buy into that and to, you know, it, a culture of education and knowledge gain doesn't just happen. You have to make it happen. People don't just come in and go, you know, as volunteers, especially in a church, they don't come in and go, teach me more about how to be a good audio engineer. <laughs> and you, you might get that occasionally from somebody who may be like me, who is really yeah. passionate about something. They're not like, but yeah. John and Jane Q volunteer are just like, I don't know anything, but I want to serve the church. Show me what to do. The more you gain them knowledge, the better resource they're going to be for a week to week basis, but they might be your next person to train your next person. Mm. And how do you want that next person to be taught? You want to be taught what that person thinks, or you want to be taught what you've taught them right. and how you want it laid out. Right? right. So that to me is the core education has got to be part of the conversation on a regular basis. We cannot have technology and expect good, strong, positive results without the middle part. Right, right, right. Very true. You know, it's something that that always rings true, and especially in technology. Not can you say, especially in the church today, is a phrase that I say the term "the worship experience," which is such a general statement. Mm -hmm. Like, how would you personally and technically define it? Yeah, to me, the worship experience is everything related to what happens for a live and video worship experience, right? And sometimes those are two maybe distinct things that work together. But when you talk about the worship experience, that to me is everything that engages every sense, even from the moment that somebody opens their car door on your parking lot. You know, when we talk to people about building projects, whether it's a new construction or a renovation project, or just how do we enhance our overall experience? The first thing I say is, well, what do people see and feel when they drive into your parking lot? Are there banners that, you know, entice the senses of what they're about to walk into? Is there video content outside? You know, is your building lit up with great colors and cool things? When they open the door, do they hear music? Does it set the tone? What happens when they get to the door? Is there a friendly face there that's saying hi? Is there music? Is there a vibe when they open the door? When they like we're setting somebody's worship experience from the second they get on campus, right? We're setting them up for what they're about to experience. And sometimes that might be something very specific, like a series or a, or a talk that might be going on. Or it might be a little more general, just, hey, get you in the worship mood, you know, to kind of set the tone that you're on campus. But when I talk about worship experience, once I open the doors to the auditorium and I walk in there, what do I see? What do I hear? What kind of a mood, what kind of a vibe is in there, what's going on? And then how does all that play to setting up what I'm about to experience, right? What type of a worship environment are we going to have? And that worship experience is how the technology supports that, how the worship team, like the, the, the music worship team. So there's like worship arts, that's technical side. Right. And then there's worship music arts, which is instruments, vocalists, right? But we're all one worship team Correct. creating a worship experience. All of it ultimately should be designed for one thing, to set pastor up for success when he or she steps onto that platform to deliver the message. So everything that we're doing from a worship experience perspective should be 
funneling everyone right down to what pastor is going to be walking up to. And the pastor should be able to walk up there in this perfect moment. And we've already done the job, right? Right. Um, our music should be in alignment with what pastor is going to be preaching on that weekend. Our video content, our, you know, our lighting, our sound, everything should be funneling energy towards setting pastor up because that's ultimately the final piece, right? That's the thing that's going to deliver the message in its right. entirety or the rest of the message, I should say. And it's also going to deliver that call to action, right? Right. So we're oftentimes setting up the conflict. Sometimes we're setting up the overall experience, but it's all part of it, right? Does that kind of answer, yeah, answer yeah, your definitely. question? I mean, there's a lot of pieces to it, right? Definitely, definitely. But, I, you know, the thing is that we're in service, especially in the technology side and art side, we're in service to the people, the pastor, the message. And a lot of times mm -hmm. we don't know what stage people, people could walk in, in the seed stage where the seeds need to be planted. People could walk in into, this is, which is watering the seed that was planted. Um, people could walk in and well, this is the sunlight on, on the water to grow the seed. You just never know what stage people are walking in on. And obviously they're walking in, everyone's walking on different stages, but the worship experience, how you described it is, it's, it's soup to nuts. That's what I call it. It's like from the door, from the parking lot to the message. It's all succinct. And us who play a part, everyone who plays a part in this, because it's we all play a part into this, into the what we call the worship experience is meeting the one the pastor's talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's critical that we invest some time and energy and resources into making that experience great. Right. right. Um, you don't want to, you got to plan it and be well thought out. And a lot of people say, oh, I don't want to be overproduced. Well, it's not about being overproduced. It's about planning and preparing the table. Right. You don't invite dinner guests over to your house and start handing them cups and plates and tablecloths <laughs> and everything and ask them to set the table. Right. You do that. And when they walk in, they're focused on the one thing, which is the experience that you're trying to create for them. And the same thing goes into a worship setting. You don't want to have people showing up and you're not ready for them, right? That's going to be a distraction. And if you create a distraction for them because you didn't prepare, then I call that bringing a cheap offering. <laughs> That's a good way. It's a good, it's a good phrase. You don't show up at 8.30 on Sunday morning and expect greatness to happen by 9 a.m. and you have all these technical pieces that you're trying to pull off right you're just setting yourself up for a nightmare so and to be a distraction so if you're going to take it to that level and really focus on creating a great experience it does have to be well thought out you do have to cross the t's and dot the i's and make sure that the experience that you're trying to create is well thought out is cohesive and it's not distracting right you know i've heard right. people say oh i don't want to do X, Y, and Z in a service because it's a distraction. Well, it can be <laughs> if you don't plan ahead, right? It's, When's it's, the last time you saw it done? Oh, I walked into this church and it was all over the place. Well, don't judge it, you know, by the worst. Judge it by, mm -hmm. you know, finally. So, but you got to think it through. You know, you have to be well thought out. Um, but you do that. Again, not because you're trying to be slick and overproduced, but at the end of the day, the most important aspect is to bring our best 
my worship pastor always used to tell me that excellence honors God and inspires people. Mm. And um, we, our target, our measurable is excellence, not perfection, but excellence. And so everything that we look at has to pass through the filter of, am, is what I'm doing leading us down the path of creating excellence? Um, it's like if I gave it that extra five minutes, if I scheduled that other 20 minutes of rehearsal, if I just threw one more volunteer at it, could I achieve the excellence factor by just giving it that little bit more? And if that's the case, then yeah, okay, let's go for it, right? Um, but am I achieving excellence in every service? And you can't let off the gas. I think the most important thing is goes back to what you said was you never know where someone's at on their journey. And so if you take your foot off the gas for one moment, you could be isolating or alienating a certain group of people mm. that are on their journey. Right. So you have to be on all the time, which again goes back to being well thought out and well planned and well organized so that what you're trying to deliver is not a distraction. I mean, if the band yeah. don't rehearse, that could be a distraction. <laughs> right? So. Yes, yes, yes. You had this term on your website that I thought was very, very interesting. It said needs based design process. Mm -hmm. Like what? Like, can you, what is that? So for us, every ministry is unique. There is no rubber stamp or cookie cutter that we can ever use from church to church. Certainly, we all look at ministries around us or ministries that inspire us or motivate us for some inspiration. Right. right. We all look at the church that we say, oh, I really like their worship style or their worship experience. I really like that pastor's teaching style. I really love the visuals that they create. Whatever. Pick pick one. You know, everybody's got something. <laughs> but the most important thing of that is that we're always passing it through the unique filter of our own church. Every ministry in on the planet has got its own mission, vision, value, and purpose. And at the heart of that is what makes up its own unique DNA. Right. So while we are all delivering one message, which is Christ is the way to the Father, right? Um, we're all delivering it in a different way. Um, and when we talk about needs-based design, that's the piece that's at the heart of it, is what is the vision of the ministry? What are the needs of the ministry? And how do we design technology based on satisfying those needs? Not based on satisfying the church that you saw that you like what they do and you want to do it too. Oh, Not man. designing based on the latest and greatest technology that's out there and, and, and you saw it and you want to do it too. Yes. Not what you saw on the Oscars on Sunday night and you want to do it too. Okay, preach. None of that's relevant, right? All of it, it means nothing. What matters is what are we trying to accomplish? And again, grabbing inspiration, cool. No problem there. But saying, I want to do it, the people that scare us the most are the ones who say, I want to do it like the church down the street. We've all They're doing that. it that way for them, right? Right. That makes sense for them. That speaks to them. Right. That speaks to their environment, speaks to their culture, speaks to their community, whatever. But you can't 
you can't take their success and try and apply it in your environment and expect the same results. It doesn't work that way. So, because right. my world is the technology, that's where I live and that's where we focus when we're having that conversation, which is we're going to design based on your need, your vision, and your intended results. And that's where we go when we're talking about needs-based design, right? So there's a lot long, behind it. How, how long How long does it take someone, like when you go talk to a church, how long did it take them to get, so they can kind of understand what, we, what, you, what you're saying to me, which I did, because this is a conversation you have all the time. How long does it I take? try and make it happen as fast as possible. <laughs> <laughs> a lot answer. of people get it. You know, I mean, a lot of people get it. Um, I can't say a lot of people apply it, but a lot of people get it. Um, it's my job to keep them on the path to, to maintaining that it, it's about that need. We've certainly had ministries along the road that we've worked with that we probably should not have worked with. And we gone with our gut question. instinct. I was about to ask you that. Yeah. yeah. We've had ministries along the road where there has been a stronger interest in a particular piece of technology or a particular <laughs> brand oh, or gosh. a particular, right? It's like, yes. I got to have this particular PA in my room. Yes. Okay. Why is that? Right. Well, I heard it over right. here and I love it. Great. Well, I've done the modeling on your room, and what I'm telling you that that particular PA isn't right for the space. This one is, and it's actually cheaper. Um, you know, it just hardly ever happens. But whatever, the the price doesn't matter best. at that I want point. The best, so. No, we gotta have that brand. I'm yeah. telling you, that brand's not right for the space. That box is not right for the. Right. And so we acquiesced. That's what you want um, against all our better judgment and, and so forth. And other areas, other needed areas of technology suffered because a higher price point had to be paid for that right. equipment. Right. And you know what? It still didn't fit the space. It still didn't sound right. It still was wrong it, when, it, when it got deployed. It's not anything that we did wrong or that the manufacturer did wrong. Right. It was the wrong application. Right. Um, and it's like, I can't believe I'm arguing with you over spending less money on a better solution. I had actually gotten accused of fudging the numbers on the model. And I was like, but I'm selling you a less expensive system. How, why would I lie about that? Why would I lie anyway? But like, I have no skin in the game. I, I'm not going to lie to you about what is right. It's not like I get more money off of this manufacturer than I do off of that one. I, all I care about is putting the right solution in. But anyway, it's happened. Um, and we should have just said, you know what? I should have known from the first meeting because the other thing, ministries that want to do it like somebody else scare me. You know who else scares me? People I can tell right off the bat are uninterested in working with you and the team to learn and to grow and to put together the best possible system. Just and those who are like, <laughs> I know what I want. This is what I want you to do for me. Put it Done. In. We're not that company. 
We are not those kind of people. You can go find somebody else to just take your money. I'll be honest with you. It's not who we're interested in working with. And I should have just said, you know what? Meaning done. You're, you are not the right fit for us. Um, so as we've grown, um, we've certainly gotten a much more scrutinizing eye when it comes to that stuff. And I always approach every ministry, especially on the first meeting of saying, this is my opportunity to learn about you just as much as it is your opportunity to learn about me. And we will collectively decide if we're going to work together. Mm, but I'm not good. working with anybody that I don't feel like is a good fit for us. Um, I don't care how much money they have. All I care about is, are we a right fit? And will it be a fun, exciting, enjoyable experience that's going to make the most impact to the ministry? Are right. we here for ourselves or are we here for the church? And if we're here for the church, we're going to work together and we're going to do awesome things. If we're here for us, you can go give your money to somebody else. Because that's, that's just a recipe for a disaster. And I'm not right. into it anymore. You know, right. Right. it happened once. And I was like, nah. <laughs> one, one too many. Yeah. And I felt, and I even went back to church leadership and I was like, guys, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. And I'm telling you, it's the wrong approach. Um, and they didn't want to undermine their tech people. And I get it. You know, you, you got your staff and you, but I, I gave all the red flags and the warnings that I could. And then we did our best, you know, I mean, everybody worked hard, but it wasn't fun. It just felt, I don't know. It just wasn't a great experience. So yeah, yeah. it happens. Yeah. We, we, We've all gone gone through gone through the or had that church or that person in mind, like I would never do that again, you know, and recognizing red flags when 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 they when they cross your path. So how did you how you started in lighting? So what was the growth process for for your company? So we did a lot of work in, in lighting, um, lighting design sales, lighting well, lighting sales from equipment and design and deployment, things like that. Um and we went through a really long and, and good season there. Um, what really actually changed it was I had other people um, who were on staff at churches, and I've never hired anybody away from a church from a technical role. Um, I feel like if you want to work with us, you're called here, and the you know the paths will align and things will happen. Um, so I was approached by a dear friend who was working at a ministry for over 15 years, and he said, uh, "Hey." I feel like you did a couple years ago. I feel like I've done everything I was called here to do. I feel like I've fulfilled the mission that was put on me for this church. I really love what E2I Design is doing for the House of Worship community. And um, I've been impacted very positively by working with you. I'm feeling called to come work on the team. And so we engaged some conversation and, and his particular area of focus was audio and infrastructure. And um, I said, well, that's great. That's a place that I'm not super familiar with. So why don't we explore that? And we were able to create more offerings and, and, and assist our existing clients. Because we certainly had a lot of ministries who were saying, gosh, I wish you could help me with the audio or the video infrastructure side of things. Mm. And that's just not my area of expertise. And I know how to stay in my own lane. Um, but when everything kind of came to fruition, it made sense. So we just kind of expanded that way and started touching the other areas. And now we're able to provide complete solutions. So we still do, you know, a lot of box sales, right? 
it's like box sales with an expert instead of just going <laughs> on Amazon, which most of the stuff we provide, you can't even buy on Amazon because it's all pro you know, equipment. But um, you get you get an expert in ministry to be your partner. And that's most important for us. But we still do box sales. We do complete systems design and deployment. So we have an install team and we can go put things in. I even created something called a guided install for churches who are like, hey, we got a team of people who are ready, willing, and able. Uh, we just don't necessarily have the knowledge base or the expertise to deploy it all the way. But if you if you gave us an expert, we could do it. Um, wow. So we provide an expert. So we'll send, rather than a team of people, we'll send one person. And we will guide you through your own system deployment um, mm. to an extent, right? Obviously, you know, you don't want to be rigging your own PA and uh, your own lighting bars Different and all that. We'll, we'll take right. that out. But we have cre- we created this hybrid called a guided install. And that's something that we'll do with ministries. My biggest vision is to meet ministry where you're at and to provide value where value is needed, not where I'm trying to sell it. So I'm not out there trying to sell install. Like if you don't have us put it in, you can't have it. If that's not what you need, then tell me how I can best serve your church and then let me fill in the gaps. Let me help you get better. I love the guided install because at the end of the day, when a system is deployed, um, you have to know how to operate it. You know, we work all over the world. I mean, we've done projects in Asia and Canada and Mexico. We do projects all over. And people say, how do you service ministries when you're not local? And I say, if I was sitting in your parking lot on a Sunday morning (laughs) and a problem came up, I couldn't get in the door fast enough to solve it. That's not what it's about. It's not about having a crutch and someone that you have to call in every time you have a problem. It's about gaining your own knowledge and us teaching you about your system so that you can manage it and you can fix it. So if you've got a problem on a Sunday morning, you pick up the phone and we will answer the phone. Um, Our phone system has no hours. You know, catch us after nine, you know, nine o'clock, we'll be open. (laughs) You call, it will ring. Um, and we'll answer it and we'll troubleshoot with you and we'll talk it through. Hey, Bob, remember when we were there and we did this, this, this? Yep. Okay. Remember where I showed you? Uh Uh-huh. Go there. Oh, shoot. Somebody unplugged it. Plug it back in, man. Boom. Up and running. Great. Fixed. Um, part of our training is also teaching people when to decide that it can't be done. Let's just move on. Right. Um, sometimes you just got to call an audible and get back to search, right? We just ain't going to have that thing, right? Sometimes you have to. You just go, hey, we're going to work on this for the next 10 minutes. And if it don't happen, we're bailing. We'll deal with it on Monday. We got to get back Mm -hmm. to church. We'll figure it out. We can't let that failure, right, be a distraction from a great service. Um, So sometimes that happens. Yeah. But yeah. because education is foundational in what we're doing, we've never, ever met a challenge that we can't solve, especially. Rem- and we set up all our systems for remote access so we can get in, we can see what's going on and, you know, that sort of thing. Again, I could be sitting in a lawn chair in the front front of the building and I couldn't make it in fast enough to solve the problem. And frankly, I may not be able to. Like, that's the sort of weird thing is like you pick up the phone you can have everybody in the company who worked on your project if we were local what if they're all out of town working on a, mm. another church's project and we're right. not in town 
like I, it's a false crutch, I think. So we set it up so that it's empowered and the ministry can function and can troubleshoot on their own or wave the white flag and bring us in or all of our manufacturers that we work with have 24 hour support that is there on a Sunday morning. Like we'll get you, if it can be fixed, we'll get it fixed. You know, that, so, that's, I don't know how I rabbit trailed on that one, but nah, but it, but it, it makes perfect sense because we started our conversation with that. You lead with edu education and education is the foundation. And once you have that in place, then those, those are the prime building blocks for success. Because without yeah. it, you just got you just got gear. There's no such thing as a hands-off system. I mean, you, you know, people say, "Give me a turnkey system." Oh, I've heard that a million times. Yeah, let me no. tell you something. Let me let me tell you how how, how much turning of this key you're gonna end <laughs> up doing. Because um, you know, like where and people get excited. I mean, most people get excited. I've never met anybody who's just like, "I don't want nothing to do with it. Tell me when it's done." And if you did, I'd be like. That is not how this is going to go anyway. So y'all better be ready to learn. Uh, I want you following our install team around. Grab a box and take it out to the dumpster when we're done. Like, get involved. It's your church. It's your system. I cannot love it more than you. Um, and it's the same thing when we design it, right? When we work on the design and the deployment or, you know, even if somebody calls up and said, just help me figure out, you know, here's what I think we need. Can you help me figure out if it's right? We'll walk you down that path, even if you're just buying gear, you know. Um, but when we're putting a system together, we're doing it together. It's not like we go, okay, here's what it's going to be. I hope you like it. It's really, hey, here's what you told us your vision is. Here's where you told us where you're going. And we're always looking at what are my immediate problems I need to solve. And then what's my two-year vision for the ministry? What's my five-year plan, right? Those are relevant in decision-making. In a, yes. in a true partnership, which is what we're after, we're going to reassess that every couple of years. Okay, we got some new immediate needs. We got a new two-year vision. We got a new five-year plan. So we're constantly reevaluating how the technology is serving the constant, ever-changing environment of a dynamic, thriving ministry. It's always changing. But we're going to say, okay, so you told us what your needs are. We've put a plan together. Here's what we think the plan is. What do you think? Ask some questions. Get involved. We'll talk about adjustments, design revision. Then once we're all on board, everybody's good, then we're going to go. Right? Um, I think that's an important lead-in. Um, I don't know if you were going to ask the question, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the question in there, is that technology is something that is not static. Correct. And it's important for tech teams and most importantly, leadership, i.e. pastors and bean counters, no offense to the, you know, <laughs> accounting and finance team, but we are not going to buy something today. You know, you hear, is this going to last us 15 years? The equipment will probably last you 15 years, but I would venture to guess that the ministry will be in a very different place, different place. in the next five to seven years Easily. than what this in five to maybe seven sooner. years than what this technology is going to be able to provide. Yeah, maybe is the sooner. piece of gear gonna yeah is the piece of gear gonna fall over dead? No, very unlikely. But in a changing dynamic ministry, now does that mean we have to rip it all out? No, we shouldn't. If we've done our job, we shouldn't. However, 
we should be under the impression that things are going to change and we will need to make upgrades, changes, right? We need to design a system. We're looking for something that can serve that immediate need and, and serve a marginal level of growth, right? Mm -hmm. Or a marginal level of change and transition before we need to switch the gear. Right. And the reason that is would be, uh, let's say on a week-to-week -week basis, your ministry needs uh, a 32-channel audio desk, right? We're running 32 channels hard all week, every week, rock and roll. Cool. Well, maybe we're going to spec in a 48-channel. Yeah. Give a little room. Yeah. Right? Leave a little room, leave a little growth. And then they may say, well, once a year, we need 96 channels. All right, I ain't buying 96 channels. We'll rent that in when we need it. That's too much growth. I'm paying a lot of money to be sitting on that amount of expansion that I may use once, that I may use in the future. It's like, oh, well, we're, we're going to go back to having a full orchestra. Well, when you go back to having a full orchestra, call me and we'll upgrade the desk, right? We're not going to buy that now in hopes that in two or three years we're going to do it. Right. That's a lot of money. So we're going to build that marginal amount of growth, that, that modest amount of, of opportunity. And then we're going to say, okay, well, now we've hit that next cap. We need to make the next jump, right? Again, I feel like it's being a good steward and a good resource, mm -hmm. um, not going overboard, um, not paying for excess capacity. But it's important to understand that if you're in a dynamic, growing, thriving, and changing church, change being the operative word, then the equipment and the technology to support it will need to change with it. Correct. Um, when we create a roadmap with a church and we're talking about that immediate two-year, five-year, one of the things that I want technology to look like is kind of like a nice meandering stream, right? Okay, we're going this way and, oh, the church is starting to change, so the technology is going to start to shift a little bit. Nope, the church is changing and we're going to shift back this way. And we're going to follow the path of the church, right? When you talk to a ministry about a five-year plan, that's lawn darts, man. That's just something way out in the future. No church ever, ever in five years looks like they think it will, ever. <laughs> it resembles it closely-ish, yes. but yes. it's never exact. So your two-year is your most accurate. Your five-year is your pie in the sky. That's, but it's changing. It's growing, right? It's a, it's a vision that you have today, hopefully spirit-led vision that you have as, as church leadership today. Right. In the future, that, that's going to continue to change, right? Take a look back at the last five years and tell me how much change we as a society have gone through. Tell me the church hasn't had to change right along with it. How many woke up in March of 2020 and said, well, I guess we're streaming today. Otherwise, Man. we get no church, right? Talk about change. Yes. So when you look at... That was a shock to the system. That's a whole nother, we'll save that for another podcast. But when you talk about what you want technology to look like, it should follow that. When you start seeing sharp zigzags, that's the stuff you want to stay away from. We were going to run over here and we're going to chase the latest trends or the biggest technology or the newest thing or whatever. And then you get caught in the corner. Right. And now, oh, the church is going this way. You better run and catch up. And that's how you end up with closets full of gear. Man. Because it's like, somebody who is on staff liked this thing and now they're gone and nobody has any clue how it works or why we bought it. No, no, no. Or what it is. <laughs> That's the other or thing. Or even knows what it is. Or even what it is. And, and that happens even, too, right? That's 
that's part of the lack of plan because ministries put a lot of faith and trust in the people who are leading those areas, whether they're staff or volunteer. Um, staff get a little more freedom with the budget, typically. But right. what happens in that environment is you have to put, as a tech leader, you have to put your ego, your vision, your desires outside and step into the walls of the church and say, what are the needs of this ministry? And what is it going to take to satisfy those needs? Because I'm here now. doesn't matter to me what you did at the church you were at before or the church you might want to go to. What matters right. is what needs to be done here at in these walls. Um, so looking at that aspect of it is critical to ensure that we're not buying for the people. We're mm -hmm. buying for the church. Right, right, right. I look at your schedule. And this is probably the first year, I know you you know this, that at NAM and NAB are just like right behind each other. Um, with, is, have you seen anything that you're excited about gear-wise? Um, I can't say as I've, I've gotten deep into the paint, if you will, on mm -hmm. some specific gear yet. We're just starting to look at what we're planning to see with some of these manufacturers. I mean, we are seeing some uh, some interesting new things coming from Ross Video that we do a lot of work with. Um, we're seeing some new things coming from Canon uh, that we do a lot of work with in that regard. Um, I'm not seeing anything earth shadowing in the in the audio world. I think everybody just wants to get their sure microphones at this point. <laughs> Sorry, sure. Um, <laughs> oh gosh, Lord. Michelle, I know. Is it that's a whole other podcast. Oh, whole yeah, podcast. That's a whole other podcast. Listen, listen, listen. So what I want to do is after NAM and NAB, I want you to come back and let's talk about products that you've seen and kind of talk about these different products. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. I think that'll be I'm gonna do one be better for you because after NAM and NAB, I'm going to Frankfurt, Germany to Pro Light and Sound. And then I'll be back. And in May, let's do one, and I'll get you the real lowdown of everything that's happening oh, because, be... you know, Pro Light and Sound is going to be everything, and a lot of manufacturers are going to be making some announcements and showing off some new stuff there. So that'll be a good one too. So I'll I'll come I'll come armed with some really cool stuff uh, that... for that one. Yeah, and NAB will be awesome. I mean, that's gonna be great. There you go, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats and dogs of all ages. I want to thank my good friend Josh Holowicki joining us from E2I Design. All of his information will be in the show notes. Um, if you're listening and you want some visual contact with my friend here, it's, we're going to be on YouTube. And make sure you like, subscribe, and review. And we're going to see you next time on the Church Sound Podcast.